This is Bonjour Chai, the Misconceptia edition. I am not Avi Feingold in Montreal. I am Zach Kaufman in Toronto with Phoebe Maltzbovi. We are your stable maples. We are your eager beavers. We are your frozen chosen. Today on the show, we talk about how the war in Israel and Gaza has forced us to update our priors. What was our mental model? What conceptia, as the Israelis say, were we living under about the Jewish state and its neighbors until now? And how has it changed over the past 14 days? All that right after this message. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. I would say I'm happy to be here, but given given the news. So I, I've been hearing a lot about how you're supposed to check in with your Jewish friends, colleagues, neighbors, and whatnot at this time. So... Zach, I hear you're Jewish. I know I am as well, but you know, got nevertheless, got to check in with you. How are you doing? The truth is, I am feeling a little bit like an emotionally waterlogged sponge. Although I have heard that you're not supposed to say, how are you doing to people? I've heard complaints on the internet of people getting to the office on Monday morning and uh, non-Jewish colleagues saying like, hey, how was your weekend? How are you doing? And people not appreciating that. Hmm. People really? would have rather them say like, how are you holding up? Like to wow. uh, to acknowledge that, uh, you know, okay, this isn't a normal thing. But so this what, is what about I that think, fascinates you? Yes. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So um, this means that uh, we're going to jump ahead to sort of one of our subtopics, which is this question of should people be checking in with their Jewish friends at this time? Or indeed, are people even still talking about that? Or as the news cycle, are people even still thinking of Jews as the marginalized minority of the moment? And that's a separate question. But this whole idea of like checking in with your friends of a particular background. This really took hold, I think, um, during the kind of 2020 reckonings, right, that you were supposed to, if you were not black yourself, check in with black people you knew, which always struck me as like, uh, it seems questionable that like random black people in any mm-hmm. non-black person's life would necessarily want this and not feel just kind of put on the spot. And so now, okay, I can, I've now been on a bit of the receiving end of this and I can speak a bit to this. And I think I would be okay with a how was your weekend, given that I live in Toronto, um, where there is not currently a war. Doesn't mean there never could be, but there isn't right now. It sounds like you have had people reach out to you, non-Jewish people, knowing you're a Jew, saying, like, how are you doing? How does that feel to receive those messages? I mean, does it a feel bit, comforting? A does bit. it feel I ha- true? I haven't, I haven't received as much as some have. Um, it just... I'm never sure what, like, I mean, the main thing that makes me think is how extremely Jewish I read to people who aren't Jewish, which, okay, I mean, I work for the CJN, it's it's not going to be like a huge surprise to me, like that I'm Jewish and that people know that. Um, But I don't really know what I'm supposed to say, because like, well, what's the truth? The truth is that I am not a big fan of 
every time I log on to my computer, which I need to do, you know, for work purposes and just for general life purposes, seeing dead Jewish babies. Um, I'm not a fan of seeing any dead babies of any background either. I hasten so to So it add. sounds like the so, truth is you are yeah, having a tough time. I, I would say I would say it's tough, but I wouldn't say that it but I also think though that like what I am doing in a week by week basis is still like my life and not the news cycle and I'm like more preoccupied with stuff to do with like my own family, my own work, things like that than I am with like like I I think that there's a danger in pretending that everybody is more emotionally connected to world events happening not near them than they are to whatever they are personally dealing with. Like you can care in different ways about different things. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. That makes sense. The thing that it makes me think about is sort of hyphenated identities. The way that I'm coming at it is thinking about like people obviously don't like to be thought of as a black doctor, as a woman um, lawyer. And does messaging your Jewish friend when something happens in Israel, is that sort of uh, signaling that you don't really see them as a regular American or a regular Canadian, that they're really some sort of other? There's been a lot of discussion of kind of, is it fair, like, like you don't want to conflate Israel with Jews, you do all of this, people say this, but then like, at the same time, a huge number of Jews in the diaspora have, you know, personal connections, not to Israel in some abstract way necessarily, maybe, but also to just like actual Israeli Jews who are their own family members and whatnot. And because of Jewish history and how it went, um, basically, like, even if you are a Jew not of, not of Middle Eastern origin, you're, <laughs> you're, you know, your family is going to be basically like split between off very often, you know, Europe or North America and Israel. And that's just often how how it goes demographically. So it's not necessarily some kind of like weird sort of either dual loyalties or whatever sort of thing to assume that somebody Jewish cares about Israel, nor does it necessarily mean that that person considers themselves a Zionist now sort of like I thought it would be interesting to talk about a bit is just sort of like how we both kind of came to this topic, like like where we were at sort of politically, personally, whatever, with regards to um, Israel, Zionism, Israeli-Palestinian conflicts and all of this. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I mentioned this up top. One way that it's framing for me is something that in the Israeli media people are talking about is this idea of the shattering of what they call the concepcia. And it's a word that goes back to 50 years ago. In the wake of the Yom Kippur War, there was this thing, the Agronat Commission, and they said that the leaders in politics and the military were all under this, what they called the concepcia, which was at the time that Sadat would never um, engage in a war, war that he wouldn't win and that the other surrounding countries would never go into a war without the Egyptians. And then the parallels today are, are obvious that everyone thought Israel had the biggest, baddest army in the world. The Mossad was all seeing this eye of Sauron. They had billion dollar fences and, uh, the Iron Dome. So the Israeli conceptia was shattered. And I think we all had our own sort of preconceptions that we were living under that were also shattered by this. Mm -hmm. 
Or not, I think, but let's, let's or explore. Not. Uh-huh. Or reinforced. Yeah, yeah, yes. totally. But how about more, more like broadly, like how, what had been your general sort of stance regarding these topics? What mm-hmm. engaged, not engaged, semi-engaged and on what front? Like, right. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a very Jewish world. I grew up in, going to Jewish day schools um, during eight months of the year. And then I went to Camp Ramah for the other two. So I was very much bathed in Jewish stuff and very invested in my Jewish identity. As I got older, I started leaning into this idea of I'm very invested in my Judaism. I'm not so invested in nationalism, this like falafel IDF thing since 1948. I feel very grounded and rooted in Judaism that is international. Then I ended up for totally non-ideological, just for job reasons, I ended up moving to Israel for two years. And that shifted me towards thinking about that, yes, if I care about my Judaism, the fact is half the world's Jews live in Israel. And if you are someone who cares about Jewish culture, Jewish politics, Jewish whatever, if you care about Jewish people, half the world's people live in Israel, you have to be at least Israel interested. And how about yourself? Were were uh, you, yeah. did you grow up in a deeply Zionist invested environment? And no, did that change for you over your... Over um, your arc. Yeah. So for me, not really. I mean, like, I guess we did like one family trip to Israel. Like we did a tour when I was eight and there was not much discussion of Israel in general, I would say over the years during my New York City childhood. Did you ever think of Israel as home? Uh, did I ever? I don't think I've ever thought of Israel as home. No, but that's a separate. Yeah. But basically, um, I started college. Um, I went to the University of Chicago for undergrad. I started like days after 9-11. And I was in Manhattan, where I grew up then. And that certainly like made an impression and probably somewhat shaped my politics of that moment. That combined with then moving from New York to yes, Chicago, but still uh, the Midwest. And a lot of the students were just from, you know, like around the Midwest. Um, and being in very non, a lot of very non-Jewish um, environments, I got exposed to a lot more views of sort of like Israel shouldn't exist at all. It's you know a colonial entity. It's terrible, you know, and, and just generally sort of at that same time also learn about the Dreyfus affair um, and sort of nineteenth-century French Jewish history. Um, and I started to just become this like utterly bizarre like late 19th century, you know, secular Zionist living, you know, in 21st century Chicago, then New York. And I don't know, like, I I definitely had this kind of politics emerging that wasn't necessarily that tied with the present day all the time, if that makes sense. So I was very interested in certain things that didn't all like, translate to being very much like, the most on top of the front page news of all people. I was never like a wonk or a pundit in that way. Can you explain what that was? When you say that, like, you were influenced by the Dreyfus affair, what ideas from that felt impactful? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, like, this idea of Jews being as entitled as anyone else to uh, a nation state, you know, and the idea that, like, if you think it's ethical for there to be France, which is, like, culturally French, 
why can there not be like a culturally culturally Jewish, you know, to use that <laughs> expression, um, place one in the world? Um, I was also very influenced on this is more in grad school, not not in college because I hadn't heard of him yet, but by Albert Memmi, the late he died in uh, 2020 at age 99, um, Tunisian French Tunisian Jewish writer who wrote about sort of Zionism as itself a form of anti-colonial struggle, sort of like a decolonization, liberation style movement, but for Jews, like that influenced me a lot. Um, definitely, I, I was, I've never been religious um, or anything like that. It was more just this kind of, it, there ought to be a Jewish homeland. There is one. That's a good thing. I, I, I did and do consider myself a Zionist. And then when I think ahead, aside from the 19th century, but I think about the 20th century, I think, okay, well, where were where were Jews supposed to go, right? Where were Jews supposed to go? So basically, those were all my thoughts. I'm talking about, like, in my, like, late teens, early 20s. And then what happened was I just found the whole thing so extremely depressing and started thinking about other topics more and these topics less. And... um I work in other areas, <laughs> like I, I do cultural commentary in other areas, and I am I am as far as can be really from like a Mideast pundit. I don't know, I don't see scenes of devastation and scan for who or for which type of, of, you know, whatever, which type of weapon clearly did this. I scan for like the images of dead children get very upset, basically. So that's sort of where I'm at with things like this. I relate to that checking out when I talked about that phase of my life, like I'm interested in my Judaism, not so interested in Zionism. Part of that came out of this university experience I had, where it, in that community of people who were talking about Israel issues, somehow it became all about us. And every group that put out a statement um, and then responded to that statement, and you had to have a million meetings, and we talked about what the other ones talked about at their meetings, and not about the people there, not, a, it, it felt very navel gazy and a little bit silly. And yeah. I think coming out of that environment made me also throw up my hands a little and feel like this isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can totally see that. I mean, I think it's easier to focus on like statements, creating a statement, who put what in their statement, um, who, phrased what in which way that's like a lot easier to think about than like war i suppose so i think i can kind of understand at this time why a lot of people's minds are going to sort of parsing things rather than um yeah i don't know i mean what i keep thinking about though is though on the sort of bigger picture front what it means about israel as a refuge you know as this kind of if it gets terrible elsewhere there's always israel and as this place to sort of save Jews from pogroms when, I mean, I, I remember thinking about this. I was in, um, I'm going to completely mispronounce Rehovot, right? Or Rehovot or Rehovot. Well, it depends where you, it depends where you were, you know. I was in If you Rehovot. were in Rehovot, then you're, if you're, then yeah. you're if you were in Jerusalem, it's the I wrong pronunciation. I was, yeah. I was actually, yeah. I was actually in Mississauga and, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> But then would go into Tel Aviv just like, and there was a market that we would go to sometimes, and then it was attacked while we were there or shortly after. So I just remember it did make me already start thinking like that the safety idea of Israel seemed already like a little 
the complicated a complicated thing, but I still I still would say that at that time I thought, okay, well maybe even if on a day to day basis you're safer in Canada or wherever, there's still like you're you're in a Jewish state and that you're you know like there's this sort of Jewish self defense going on. There's some kind of importance to that, and it's just the the sheer level of devastation. It's just it, it's hard to think of Israel right now as a safe harbor for Jews, right? I mean, apart from everything else. like No, I, I, I totally agree. And I, when I think about where is it safe to be a Jew, before this conflict, when people said, like, we need Israel because of the Jews need a safe place to go, I would think, well, how many Jews in Toronto do you know that have had to run to bomb shelters? How many Jews in Toronto do you know who look at a bag someone left on the bus and one and and like get worried like in toronto we don't have to arm all our jewish 18 year olds and send them to the front lines the idea that israel where you're gonna put all these jews in the middle of hostile uh countries is the safest place to be a jew in the world uh doesn't reflect a lot of people's experience um and especially today and you see and you see everyone trying to get out of israel um, saying this critique feels yucky. Um, it feels like I'm kicking someone while they're down and is a little bit victim blaming. In terms of safety, I mean, I think there's a difference between safety, like physical safety, and you could say like there's a value to, you know, a Jewish state that's different from specifically physical safety. But yeah, I think this this specific war has like changed the sort of ratio of all of this but um just say in terms of like has this shifted my priors i feel like a little bit now like i'm about to be one of those people who posts like unfollow me now if you know i never do that <laughs> but i feel like i feel like saying it a bit and this has to do with like who i interact with um and it's going to be very different than like maybe who some listeners interact with probably but i just want to say like you know unfollow me if somebody who like cares about Israel in any capacity is abhorrent to you because that's who you're looking at. You know, if somebody who identifies as any kind of Zionist, even not a right-wing one, even not one who likes Netanyahu in the least, even one who has a lot of criticisms of Israel, who's, you know, if any sort of Zionist is too much for you, unfollow me now. I've been very tempted to do that. And I... Sounds like that comes with like shame for me. Does that come with shame? No, I mean, I just, it, it only it comes with that I'm not, I don't like to see any deaths, right? Like, I don't, I, I, I'm not somebody who's like, yeah, you go get him in Gaza. Like, no, it's yeah. horrible. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. there are people who that's maybe less central, but, um, yeah, but I did want to talk though about this thing, the way that what I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this so much. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people kind of funneling this whole discussion, the Israeli Palestinian conflict, I mean, uh, and specifically this manifestation of it through the lens of the United States and, racial conflicts in the United States, political conflicts in the United States, and basically saying, aha, look, this is, it, it's all clear. You know, if you're, if you support Black Lives Matter, then you are for the Palestinian cause. You are, you know, you will speak out against the genocide is how, you know, like how it will be phrased mm-hmm. and so forth. And I find this all very frustrating because it's just like not everything is the same thing. And whatever you end up thinking about different topics, they're all different topics. And 
the and, and just this idea that like the people like I've seen a bunch of stuff about like that the people who are really suffering now are like the people of color and it's like in a in the United States in a lot of contexts neither Arabs nor Jews are considered people of color so it's not really the it's not getting the categories wrong you know what I mean and it seems like it's to it's not helping anybody's understanding of what this conflict is actually about to assume that like it's about race as understood in the United States today. Like to me, that just seems to be kind of confusing a lot of people. And it it seems to be encouraging a lot of people who don't really know much about it to kind of think they do anyway. So I think it comes from the overall critique of Israel as a group of European Jews who came over to a largely Arab environment and like set up their majoritarian uh, Jewish state there. Um, well, in what sense were these Jews European? What and by by what definition? That they came from like Russia and Poland and Ukraine. Geographically, they did do that traveling. Yes. What ethnicity were they considered in those locations? European. No. I. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. Is like they were considered Jewish. Is often very often they were considered Jewish. No. I okay. Yeah. So I, I guess what I, I'm getting I, at I is that you. I think I, I think it's complicated, and I think that to say. I think that this there's this kind of you can be furious with Israel about any number of things, but if you don't kind of have it clear in your head, like who Jews were, even in Europe, because people will point out, and rightly so, that I, I guess most at this point Israeli Jews are not of European origin, right? Right. Um, but even the ones who are of European origin or partly of European origin, what did that even mean to be European? I think is like something that gets a lot lost in this conversation. Right. Um, Part of people linking the Palestinian struggle to the indigenous struggle, Mm -hmm. just as uh, indigenous people around the world are struggling against their descendants of European colonizers. So too are Palestinians struggling against uh, their modern day European colonizers. You had a a recent tweet that I know you wrote about. (laughs) Sure, sure. So I'm going to do the absolute coolest thing ever, which is not only to write an article based on my own tweet, but then to podcast about it, because that's that's the trifecta right Right. there. Um, Watch out for the vlog. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Basically, so a few weeks ago on Bonjour High, we spoke with um, Professor David Weinfeld about... um, this concept of sort of Jews as settlers in North America, specifically in Canada, and and whether that makes sense as a category specifically for people whose ancestors maybe didn't originally settle Canada and perhaps came under other circumstances, perhaps more tragic circumstances where they were, you know, people whose ancestors or themselves were refugees, things like that. And I came away from that conversation feeling like, okay, it's pretty clear that like, some Jews were specifically settlers of Canada, like back in the day, and that the people where I would feel a little funny about calling them settlers, even though some of them do call themselves settlers, would be like somebody who's, you know, a Syrian refugee. Are they really a settler? That seems a little bit like a strange way to conceptualize things, but Jews, white presenting Jews, whatever, fine. But then I just started thinking about this whole, like, since this war, and I've been thinking more about this, but just this idea of if you divide the whole world into 
people who are settlers and people and that in this conception, I'm talking about like a very left wing conception sure. of settler. So not like the settlement, right? Yeah. I'm talking about like if you look non indigenous, non indigenous conception. Where is a Jew? You know, with the exception of Jews who are indigenous, where is a Jew not a settler? And basically the answer is nowhere. And there used to be this kind of also left-wing way of looking at things and saying, that's fine. You know, the Jews don't have a homeland, you know, like don't like this sort of anti-Zionist pro-cosmopolitan way of looking at things. Like it's great for Jews not to have any particular rootedness. That's, that's wonderful. And And we have all these cultures. We have French Jewish, we have Moroccan Jewish, we have all of these. And isn't isn't it vibrant and delightful? Yes. Um, And I, I get the appeal of that. But what I'm saying is that it's not lining up with the current stance on the left, where it's like either you're a settler and you should, go away and stop gentrifying, invading, occupying wherever you are, or it's your rightful place. And I guess there's just something about this conception of things, which seems, it seems avoidable. It seems like you can care about indigenous North Americans. You can care about Palestinians. You can care about all, any number of groups without dividing the world in this way and saying that certain people like shouldn't live where they, like they should just not be. Because, like, there really is nowhere on Earth. When, like, when you say that, um, are you putting, like, a n- normative uh, weight on settler? Is it, like, or is it just a category, indigenous versus non-indigenous? Or is it, like, someone who did something wrong? Because I feel like in the same way as some people feel, like, if I say you're a uh, straight white man— there's that's a normative statement about you that mm-hmm. there, but mm-hmm. but really I'm just descri- descript- you're, you're talking about descriptive. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm just saying sure. like you're so not I think black. The people, the people who are saying, as one Yale professor was, that no settler is a civilian, are the people I'm talking about, and they uh-huh. are not saying this in a neutral sense because I'm saying that that is how this term is now used on much of the left, and that, that there's a moral if, that yes, that-, that there are the people who deserve to be somewhere and the people who don't and what you get it on you get sort of this very performative self-flagellation from like white north americans sometimes who will be like yes it should all go back to indigenous people they're not doing anything to actually make that happen they're just, it's just like something you can post online and people will be like yeah that's great i think there's an interesting thing and i don't know the answer to this but like is that the demand of all indigenous no people? so that has come or, up. That or has, is it just yes. Or, or indigenous up. people yes. saying, like, we would like you to acknowledge, like, the terrible things that happened to us. We would like equal resources and to, like, have fresh drinking water. You know, yes, we're not saying give us that back is, all the that is, that, yeah. is, that is what has come up here. The, the bigger point, to some extent, is, like, when you're talking about a conflict, talk about that conflict and don't rope in a bunch of other conflicts that may or may not actually have anything to do with it because things don't just sort of transpose one onto the other it's not like this group is this is the exact equivalent of this other group in some other place like situations like i know it's it's i know it's you're not you're never supposed to say that anything's complicated because that's complex that's you know saying that you can't ever say anything about anything which isn't true but i'm saying that i think to just say oh this is a simple situation because it's exactly like this other situation i don't think you can say that israel is exactly like any other situation there's no other there's no analogous situation where 
you know, there were pre-existing people living somewhere and then this country had to be formed for human rights reasons. Did it have to be formed there? No, but let's say, so here's something that comes up a lot and that I want to ask you about because I've seen a bunch of this, like Mm -hmm. where people are sort of, not that there's a whole heck of a lot to do about it now, but saying, well, you know, it's really, it was Europe's fault um, that the Holocaust happened. So really Europe should have done Israel in Europe. Right. Shouldn't Israel Mm. have been put into put into Europe? And it's not just that this ignores, you know, like the historical connection of Jews to that specific geographic spot or, you know, the fact that plenty of Jews already were in the Middle East. But more to the point, like (laughs) there would have been people living wherever it was. And would it have been fair even in Germany? There would have those would have been innocent Germans. You know, there would have been German civilians. Let's say Israel had been put there. Well, that would have displaced somebody, right? You bring people in, displacing somebody. That's not fair. You know what I mean? There's this so. I have to say, the whole discussion to me has this weird, and I know this is going to be provocative, has this weird, like, blood and soil element well, of to it. Of course it does, it, though. Of, of like, it does. we have certain people have certain, like, connections with, with a spot, like, primordial. Um, I'm like, what, what the hell do you mean? Um, I certainly, I look in the mirror. I don't think like there's an Israeli guy. Um, I feel like very connected to a diaspora in Jewish culture. Um, like I said, my dad grew up going to the Spanish and Portuguese shul in Montreal. He's not. Spanish or Portuguese, but that, but that's sort of the tunes that he knows. My mom went to Yiddish day school. All the Jewish literature that I know, all the Jewish songs, all the rituals, it all comes out of a diasporan culture uh, and, and that sort of cosmopolitan thing that you uh, gestured at before. I don't see Israel as my, I don't feel indigenous to there. Do you? Do I feel indigenous to Israel? I mean, I don't feel indigenous to anything i feel extremely um like somebody who could basically live wherever and i think a rootless cosmopolitan i do i'm that i mean i am i am if anybody's that i am extremely that my zionism is really more in the sense of like if you don't think it's inherently offensive that france is a french country and i don't mean like solely people of french ancestry living there which is neither neither is it true nor should it be true Um, But if you don't find it offensive that France is French and that's its culture, then I think one country, perhaps with different borders, that is Jewish, (laughs) with Jewish culture, doesn't strike me as inherently this like ethno-nationalist, horrible, terrible, how could that be thing? And I guess I think that's where I see a double standard playing into it. Now, I don't think that that means, aha, well, that means Israel should, you know, keep its borders as, you know, large as possible and do this and that, you know, and like, you know, vanquish the enemy, you know, no, it's just, I'm saying, I don't think that there's any, I think there is a double standard that enters into it. And people say like, oh, you want, you think every religion should have a country. It's like, well, it's not just a religion, obviously. Like, no, it's a people, it's a people. And I think the Jewish people do have a country also. And I think that that's something that also gets lost a lot of the very online conversations where it's like, it, it's as if everybody's deciding whether where to put Israel. It's like, well, it, it was already put. <laughs> it's been there for quite some time. Yeah, that's the that's a little bit of a Israel is there. Israel is going yeah. to continue to be 
There. Well, I guess what I wonder why people will be angry with us because I'm sure they will, but I just don't know why. That's that, that's also the thing with this conversation. Um, I feel like people are always. I've I haven't even written or podcasted or tweeted or whatever that that much about it, and I still feel like people are always mad at me for unanticipated reasons and from unanticipated perspectives. So always something exciting to wait for. On that, it front. is sort of like. Um... Surprise. Which is sort of nice. Um, Should we move on to our nachas, uh, which is all the more important in a difficult week to find the places that embrace life and things that we can look to to feel good in the world? Yes. Yes. Um, Why don't you start, Zach? Okay. I will start. I have two nachases, two nachasayim. My first piece of nachas is for uh, these two uh, Jewish records, one Kapelia, uh, one Kapelia from Raza, uh, and the other Rabbi Deborah Sachs Mintz album Yitzira, uh, which came over to the past year and are the first uh, Jewish religious music to be nominated in the Grammys folk music category. The the music is moving and just as accessible, I think, as any other folk music. And I think it fully deserves to be um, not cordoned off to a religious mu- music category. So big congratulations to uh, Raza and Rabbi Deborah Sachs Mintz for their inaugural debut in the Grammy Awards. My second nachis, there's been a bunch of stories in the Israeli press about Couples who were supposed to have weddings either imminently or soon or were thinking about getting married and perhaps either one partner is being called up to the reserves and instead of postponing, they're saying, uh, we're going to have a wedding right now. Let's get the rabbi uh, neighbor from next door. We'll have a few close friends, whoever's around. We'll just do it. We're going to get married. We're going to embrace life. And I'm taking, taking a lot of pride in people who are able to step in uh, to goodness and not curl up and not postpone and say, um, we're, we're going to live even more fiercely. Uh, now, Phoebe, what's uh, up for you? After that sort of more heartwarming story of people getting married in yeah. response to war, um, or sort of speeding up their marriage. Make love, life. not war. So this is going to Speaking still love. be kind of in that theme. Um, so Jonathan, is it Conricus? The, um, I don't want to get his bio wrong, former and currently in active duty reserves, IDF spokesperson. He posted to that, which was once Twitter. Um, I try not to raise my voice during interviews, but I felt the line of questioning by at CBC News here was totally off. We are trying to do the right thing by calling on civilians to evacuate, yet get lectured on humanity. Okay. So there's some clip of him, right, uh, on on CBC, the, on CBC, right? And I remember I was like reading through the replies this got, and it's all very bleak. War, you know, one side, another side. You're wrong. You're a murderer. You're mm. wrong. You're a murderer. All of this. And then somebody <laughs> yeah. in the, in the midst was like, "He's hot," <laughs> or something. So I can't. I haven't been able to comb through all of these and actually find it. But somebody was like, you know, like. Right. Look at him. I was like, oh, so then I scrolled back up and obviously, you know, took a look at him. I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) That's, that's, you know, always an important, you know, like reminder that we are all still, even in horrible times, 
human and you know and have desires and, and that's, it's all right that's to have part, desires. that's that's part of being a person and i think there is sometimes this I don't want to even say performative because I think it can be real is that you can just sort of feel overwhelmed by the news and what's in the news and feel like everything else is trivial and nothing else matters. But if somebody on the news is kind of hot, that matters too. It doesn't mean you can't notice what the content of it is. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he's saying. It just means, you know, hey, you know, hey, that's all. He's that's a all it means. Yeah. So that's uh my my nachos is random thirsty posts um, in the middle of serious discussions about war. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> may there be many more on both sides. Sure, Hot spokespeople sure. for their causes. Yeah, yeah, always, always best that way. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending October 21st, Shabbat Parashat Noach. The show is produced and edited by yours truly, Zach Hoffman. Our executive producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by So-Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and proudly distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can drop us a line with your questions, quibbles, queries, or comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. Thanks for listening. <laughs>